Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we're in this series called This Invitational Life. It's based on the book that Steve Carter wrote. And um, we had him with us. We were just really honored to have him with us last weekend. Did you enjoy it, Steve, last week? Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous speaker. Um, but he told one of the stories, a Tony Campolo story about Charlie Stolzfitz. You remember that story? Um, and it reminded me, um, I, uh, Tony Campolo has great stories. And it reminded me of actually one of my favorite Tony Campolo stories. It's from his book called The Kingdom of God is a Party. Some of you have heard this story before, but I'm speaking so tough. Um, <laughs> but it, it just, it's just a great, great story. I want to read it to you. It says, I do a lot of public speaking, and my work takes me to all kinds of places. Sometimes I get Honolulu. Sometimes I get Toledo, Ohio. Now, if you live on the East Coast and travel to Hawaii, you know that there's a time difference that makes 3 o'clock in the morning feel like it's 9. And whenever I go to our 50th state, I find myself wide awake long before dawn. Not only do I find myself up and ready to go while almost everyone else is still asleep, but I find that I want breakfast when almost everything on the island is closed. It's with this background that you should understand why at 3.30 in the morning... I was wandering up and down the streets of Honolulu looking for a place to get something to eat. Up a side street, I found a little place that was still open. I went in, took a seat on one of the stools at the counter, and waited to be served. This was one of those sleazy places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon. I mean, I didn't even have to want to touch the menu. I was afraid that if I opened the thing, something gruesome would crawl out. But it was the only place I could find. The fat guy behind the counter came over and asked me, what do you want? I told him, I said, I want a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured a cup of coffee, wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron, and then grabbed the donut off the shelf behind him. Now, I'm a realist, and I know that in the back room of that restaurant, donuts are probably dropped on the floor and kicked around. But when everything is out in front and I could see it, I would really have appreciated it if he had used a pair of tongs and placed the donut on some wax paper. As I sat there munching my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative, boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place, and I was just about to make my getaway when I overheard one of the women sitting next to me say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone, so what do you want from me, a birthday party? What do you want? You want me to bake you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women had left. Then I called over the fat guy behind the counter and I asked him, So do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, does she come in here every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. Yeah, she comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday, I told him. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? Cute smile slowly crossed his chubby cheeks, and he answered with measured delight. That's great. I like it. That's a great idea. Look, I told him, if it's okay with you, I'll get back here tomorrow morning around 2.30, decorate the place, and I'll even bring a birthday cake. No way, said Harry. That was his name. The birthday birthday cake thing is mine. I'll bake the cake. So at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. 
I had picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store, made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard and read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated that diner from one end to the other. I had that diner looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was at that place. (laughs) It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. After all, I was kind of the MC of the affair. And when they came in, we all screamed, Happy birthday! Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. And as she was led to sit at one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. And as we came to the end of our singing, her eyes moistened. Then, when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it and cried openly. Harry gruffly mumbled, Blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. And after a few endless seconds, he did. (laughs) (laughs) Then he handed her a knife and told her, Cut the cake, Agnes. Oh, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake. Then, without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, Look, Harry, is it all right with you if I... I mean, is it okay if I kind of... What I want to ask you is, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged and answered, Sure, it's okay. You want to keep the cake? Keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She asked. Then, looking at me, she said, I just lived down the down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll bring it. I'll be right back, honest. She got up the stool, picked up the cake, and carried it like it was the holy grail, walked slowly toward the door. And as we all just stood there motionless, she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we all pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than a strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes at a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. So I prayed for Agnes. Prayed for her salvation. Prayed that her life would be changed. And that God would be good to her. And when I finished... Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice said, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. (laughs) What kind of church do you belong to? And in one of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. I love that story. And one of the reasons I love it is because it reminds me of a story that Jesus told. There's an account in Luke's gospel where Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee for a meal, a big party, a banquet. And As they're sitting there, he's noticing people jockeying for position and getting the seats of honor, and he addressed that issue. And then, as the meal wound down, he told them this story. It's found in Luke chapter 14, if you want to follow along, beginning in verse 16. 
A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants, servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. This series about the invitational life is really just about living a life that is open and welcoming to others. It's about being intentional in our relationships and sharing that message and love and grace of God that we've received. And and it's not a big, big deal. It's just simply extending an invitation. And this story that Jesus tells about invitations gives us a great deal of insight. And I kind of want to unpack that with you, if if we could, this morning. And just take a look at what what does it look like to live that invitational life. And this story gives us some really great insights. And it starts with this real simple thing. It's something we all got to remember. And it's this, that it's God who makes all the preparations. It's God who makes all the preparations. This banquet that Jesus tells a story about, this is not a potluck, okay? Now, potluck, you've been a part of, if you've grown up at church, you know potlucks, all right? I was, the church I grew up in, we had a Sunday school, annual Sunday school picnic. Everybody came, and it was potluck. We had like seven different varieties of potato salad. You know, you get to sample everybody's potato salad. Who has the best potato salad? Um, And and everybody brought something, and we just all shared it together. But that's not one of those kind of parties. See, in this party... It's the owner, it's the banquet host that makes all the preparations. It says in verse 17, at the time of the bank, excuse me, a certain man, verse 16, was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. He's the one that's doing all the work. And what he's telling us when it comes to the kingdom of God is everything that needs doing has already been done. It's God who makes all the preparations. That goes on, verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out to tell those who invited, come, for everything is now ready. He's done all the work. See, that's that's what he was doing through Jesus Christ, that God came to this world in the person of Jesus Christ, took on human form. Uh, One of his names was given him was Emmanuel, God with us. He lived this invitational life, inviting people into the kingdom of God. And some of his last words, among his last words on the cross as he gave his life in payment for your sin and mine were, it is finished. It's done. The work is completed. That's good news. See, that's really, really good news because too many people are trying to do it on their own. Bill Heibel spoke at the Global Leadership Summit. We were one of the uh, host sites here um, a uh, a week ago. And, and he talked about this, and I remember him talking about this years ago. In fact, I've used it before. He said, most people, when they think of a relationship with God, think in terms of this word, do. Do this, don't do that. Like I said, that is the definition of religion. 
Here are all the things that you have to do to earn God's favor. Here are all the things you have to do to get God's smile at you and love you. Here's the list of the rituals, and here's all the behaviors. These are all the things you need to do. And he said, Christianity is not like that. When Christ came, he changed it from do to done. It has all been done. That's what he was saying on the cross. It is finished. Which means there is nothing that you can do or nothing that I can do that adds to that. We have nothing to contribute to this party. We have nothing to offer. It has all been done for us. He has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And if you think about that, none of us could do enough. None of us could do enough. That's why this is such good news. And, and, and we, would never, we would never be able to do enough. We would be, never be able to perform good enough. We would never be able to, to accomplish this on our own. That's why we needed a Savior. That's why we needed that. That's, that's our story. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's your story. That's my story. And we go around this room, and every one of you could tell your story. You would talk about how God rescued you from a life of addiction or, or, or a life of making really bad choices or, or for in my case, being rescued from religion. But we all needed rescue. And that's what Christ was doing. That's what he did. And we have to keep that in mind. Because here's why. I have noticed that as we live this life of faith and we grow in our journey with God, we start to get to a place where we begin to think it's we that has accomplished something. And when we start thinking in that way, that makes us a little more prideful, a little more critical of others who can't do as well as we do, and a little more judgmental. And so he starts off this story telling us, wait, it's not about you. It's what's been done for you. And you need to embrace that. We all need to embrace that, that it's not what we have done. It's what he did for us. Because when you work with that mentality, when you, when you live with that mentality and embrace that mentality, what it does is it changes the way that you look at other people. It changes the way you think about other people. It changes the way that you treat other people. And so he starts this story remind, reminding us, hey, it's all been done for you. God has made all the preparations, but he says... Now he sends us to extend the invitation. See, the story goes on. He says, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. He sent his servant. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that's you. That's me. He sends us to extend that invitation. And, and you got to understand a little bit historically because... Um, you know, they didn't have modern conveniences and microwave ovens and, you know, convection ovens and, you know, whatever it might be. So really what would happen in ancient times is they would kind of send out um, what we call nowadays a save the date. You know, hey, I'm throwing a party, save the date, details to follow. Well, for them, it would be set aside the date, I'm having a party, I'll let you know when everything's ready. And so once all the preparations were made, then you send out the servants to tell everybody, okay, everything's ready, come on in. And so that's what he's doing. He says, now, you go out and tell him everything's ready. And then here's a twist in the story. And everybody listening to the story goes, whoa, that's weird. Because what happens is, it says they all alike began to make excuses. 
when they'd already gotten the invitation, they'd already been given to save the date. How do you make plans when you know you've been invited to something? And then listen to the excuses. The first says, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Now, who in the world buys property sight unseen? If you know someone like that, I've got some swampland I'd like to get. No, it, it's, and especially in an agri, agri, agrarian society, your, your field, that was, that was your livelihood. That's how you provided for your family. That's how you brought things to market. You don't buy a piece of property. It's a very lame excuse. The second guy says, another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Now that would be if you have a business and you have a fleet of trucks that you just purchased, you're not going to buy a fleet of trucks for your business without taking a test drive of at least one of them. Who buys five yoke of oxen? Sight unseen. And then the third guy says, uh, still another said, I just got married so I can't come. Okay, well, maybe that's a good one. I, <laughs> I understand that one, all right? But, but here's the deal. Whether they were lame excuses or good excuses, here's what you got to understand. They were still their excuses. And the point is, not everybody's ready. Not everybody's ready. And we need to understand that. We can't force someone to make a decision they're not ready for. And I want you to think about your story, how you came to faith in Christ. If you think back through your story, more than likely, more than likely, it was not one single event. It wasn't one conversation with one person that just made you respond. More likely than not, it was a series of interactions with different people at different times in your life, in different kinds of circumstances and situations. But if you go back through your story of faith and coming to faith... It was a series of encounters and conversations and people that came into your life. And the point was, that first person, that second person, that third person in that story, you weren't ready then. But they made a deposit, they planted a seed, they made an invitation that made you start start thinking a little bit more about God and about your need. So you came to a point where you were ready. See, I think that fear of rejection or that fear that, I don't know enough to be able to answer all the questions or take somebody all the way to make that decision. And, and, and we, that, that fear paralyzes us from making any kind of effort or any kind of invitation. And I think the takeaway here is, listen, just make the invitation. Just go ahead and invite. That fear of rejection, I think, keeps us from sharing the greatest discovery we ever made in our lives. So he says, just Invite. And then the story takes another twist. He comes back and he tells the owner uh, of the banquet, he says, I, I, everybody's making excuses. And so he says to his, to his servant, go out quickly then into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, the people you would least expect. The people that you wouldn't necessarily invite to your party. The people that wouldn't expect an invitation. Go and invite them. Well, what kind of people are they? I mean, they might be messy, but they might not have their banquet clothes. You know, I don't even know those people. But the point I think he's trying to make is, but I do. I do. Those messy, uninvited people matter to God. See, he knows them. He knows them. He cares about them. They matter to him.
So here's another observation that I have found over my years, both in pastoral ministry and just in this life of faith, is that the longer we are in a faith community, the more we get connected with God, the more our friendships begin to revolve around the people of faith, we tend to have less and less friendships of those who are not part of the faith. And I know as a pastor, I have to be very intentional of it because I can get my whole life wrapped up in church. And so I've learned to be very intentional about being out there and finding opportunities to engage in relationships with other people outside the church. When our kids were young and were in youth sports, it was, it was coaching Little League or, or being involved with youth soccer. Um, as they got older, got married, moved out of the house, um, it became more f- focused on the sailing people that I hang out with. But it's just being intentional about our relationships and being out there and living life among everyday ordinary people. And you got to be intentional about that. So God's made the preparation. He sends us out to extend the invitation, but here's why. Here's the reason for it all, because God doesn't want anyone to miss out. This is his party. This is his great banquet, and he doesn't want anybody to miss it. The servant comes back. He's invited all those other people, but there's still room, he says. So the master of the banquet says this, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. In other words, God's great desire is that everyone gets in on this. He didn't want anybody to miss out. He says, make the extra effort. Get out there. Get, get out there on the country roads and, and on the main highways. Get out there and extend the invitation. He says, compel them. Now, that's a real interesting word. Our New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And that one word, compel, that translated into English, compel, is actually a compound word um, in the Greek language. And it's made up of, of two different ideas. The first idea has to do with being within. The second half of the word has to do with the bend on the inside of the elbow. And so what he's saying about compel, it's not twist their arms and make them come in. It's no, no, no. Envelop them in your life. Take them arm and arm. Put an arm around a shoulder. Because they're not going to believe this incredible offer. Nobody's going to believe that this thing is offered free of charge. Nobody's going to believe that it's already been done. It's an unbelievable offer. It's an unbelievable invitation. And people can't get their minds around it. I find this all the time. That's just too easy. That can't be right. There must be something that I have to do. And no, no. So he says, what you got to do is you got to go out there and you got to link arms with them. You got to go out there and put an arm around the shoulder and say, hey, come with me. Come with me. Because it's an incredible offer and people won't believe it's for real unless you bring them and say, come and see. Make every effort. Make the use of every opportunity. Extend that invitation beyond your comfort level. I love the way Steve Carter puts it in his book. He just asks the question, who's welcome at your table? Who's welcome at your table? In other words, the people you like the people you don't like. The people who like you and the people who don't like you, they all matter to God. 
And it means living with an intentionality that, of learning to see people through his eyes, recognizing his love for them. Peter put it in his letter this way, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We don't get to decide on the invitation list. It's not our party. But we are sent to make the invitation. And here's why it's mat- it matters. It's why it matters for you and for me. Within a nine-mile radius of where we are sitting right now, over 250,000 people live. And in a survey done just last year, on average, about 47% of the population within a nine-mile radius of us has no affiliation, no connection, no involvement with any kind of faith community. Almost half. That is well above the national average, by the way. And of those 122,000 people, one of them is your friend. One of them is your coworker. One of them is your family member. A kid in your class. Someone that matters to God. Matters deeply to God. And he's made all the preparation. He just says, go and invite. And if not everybody's ready, then invite somebody else. But do what you can to make sure as many people as possible get in on this party. Make sure that every person possible understands the grace of God, the love of God for them. Make sure everybody that you can gets in on this life that God intended them to live from their very birth. Because it's up to you to make the invitation. How do we do that? I love the way Steve puts it in his book. He says, first, we live in a deep appreciation and knowledge of God's gift of grace. Then, we show up in the world and look for the good in others. We look for their need, and we relentlessly invite others to come and see God's love and grace on display. Because the truth is, any situation we walk into has potential for eternal impact. All of humanity is in search of grace. We are all desperate for good news. As Christians, we can be the conduits of grace. We have the good news in our grasp, and we need to toss seeds of grace to those who are hungry for it. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus made it clear. Everyone matters to God. So let me ask you as we close that question that Steve asks in the book. Who's welcome at your table? Who do you know? Or to put it more personally, in that 122,000 people that live within a nine-mile radius, who is the one or the two in your life that God might be moving you to invite? If you've got someone like that in your life, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, fellow student, but if there's somebody that just comes to your mind, and maybe you've talked with them before about faith, talked with them before about your journey, and say, I've, you know, I've done it enough times, they might just be one invitation away from saying yes to God. 
And it's not something that you're going to do. It's going to be something that God does in partnership with you. So if you have that one person in mind, and if I could pray for you in that relationship, in that person, that you would have that ability to live that life of grace in front of them that would cause them to question and ask, and that you would have that boldness to speak up when an opportunity arises, as nervous as you might feel, just making the invitation. I would love to pray for you as we close. So if you've got someone like that in your life, and I could pray with you and for you this morning, would you just raise a hand? Yeah. We've all, pretty much all got one of those people. And if you don't, if you don't, then can I encourage you to get out there and build those kinds of relationships? Now, maybe you're here this morning because somebody invited you. Here's what I want you to know. The reason they invited you today is because they love you. They love you dearly, and they want to see you get in on this life that God has for you. They want you to understand that it's already been done. And if you're today and you've been trying to do it on your own, and you discovered it's not working too well, today I want to invite you to grace. To just take that weight off of your own shoulders, take all of that effort off of your own doing, and put it on Him. Receive that gift, that life that He has for you. And if you're here today and God's speaking to your heart and prompting you and say, this is what you've been looking for. This is what you've been striving for. This is what you've been trying so hard to earn. And here it is. It's a gift. And you want to take that step of faith today for the very first time. We would love to lead you in a prayer. Same thing. Would you just raise your hand? As you do, actually look up and catch my eye because I want to acknowledge you and let you know I see you. I know God's working in your life. And I'm going to pray with you as we close. Or anybody. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to invite you to just make this your prayer. Lord, here I am with all of my struggles, with all of my efforts, my best efforts that keep coming up short. Here I am with my waywardness. Here I am with my mistakes and my failures. Here I am with my sin. And I can't undo it and I can't fix it on my own. And I've been trying for so long and I know it doesn't work. So today, I'll make a decision to take all that weight off of my shoulders and I'm going to put it on you. Would you, with you accomplished on the cross, would you finish that work? Would you take that and apply it to my life? Would you fill me with your grace? Fill me with your forgiveness. Fill me with your love and teach me how to follow you. I'm doing it your way from here on out. Put my life in your hands. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those who raised their hands, who said, I've got a friend, I've got a family member, I've got someone close to me, I've got a neighbor, a co-worker that I, I just want to see get in on this life. And I get tongue-tied, and I get nervous, and I have this fear of rejection that keeps me from just expressing your love. Would you give me the strength to speak up? Would you give me the life that exudes your grace so they could see a bit of you in me? 
And when that opportunity comes, would you give me the boldness to just share what you've done for me? We pray all of these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. Yeah.